Let's stand together, Mark 14. Uh, I'm going to preach to you about something I've never preached about, uh, which is kind of weird when you think about it. Uh, that, that's the weird thing about the Bible. There, you, you, could, you could talk about the Lord for all of your life and still not cover all of this book. It, it's a weird idea. It's a weird thought. Um, but I have never preached about this particular place as an entire thought for a message and uh, just felt led to do that reading through my Bible and uh, coming across uh, this passage. I, you know, if I were to say, uh, you know, when you say Denver, what do you think of? Don't say marijuana, right? It, like mile high, right? There, there are certain places that you automatically go, okay, when I think of Florida, I think of beaches. When I, when I think of Texas, I go, pew, 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 you know, something like that, or, or uh, uh, you know, a, 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 gr- a good taco, or uh, Tex-Mex food, or, 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 you know, out in the West Texas town of El Paso, you know, something like that. When, when you think about certain places, you think about, they're associated with things in your mind. And, and so you think about the cross of Calvary. Think about that tomb. Think about the fact that he shows up to the disciples in the upper room. Those are all significant places. This is one of those places, but for a different reason. Look at Mark chapter 14 and verse number 26. Mark chapter 14, verse number 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said to him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. And they came to a place which was named, what's the next word? And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and begin to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. When he says very heavy, he's not talking about his weight. He's talking about his spirit and being overwhelmed with grief. And you can see it sometimes. People come even sometimes, they come to church just kind of heavy, just burdened, kind of, you can see that there's a weight on them. The Lord is about to carry, listen to me, the sins of all of mankind. That is a reason to be grieving. That's a reason to be heavy. He saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass for him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. He cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter. Now question, look at verse 37 again. He cometh and findeth, what's the next word? Them. That is a plural pronoun. Up until this last year, people weren't dumb enough to refer to themselves as they and them. All right? Them would be a group of people. All right, and so, and so when he says them, you know what that is? The disciples. And yet, can I point out, he doesn't just say it to the disciples. He's about to say, look at verse 37. He cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto them. No, not unto them, unto who? Peter. I love this. Simon, sleep. If I was Simon, if I'm Peter and the Lord's like, how come you're sleeping? I'd be like, what about them? Why are you always picking on me, right? You know, and but the Lord makes great object lessons out of Peter. Couldst thou not watch one hour? I'll die with you. You can't pray for an hour. You're not going to die with me. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Tim, if you'd ask God's blessing on the word.
Amen. Be seated if you would. I want to point out to you this morning that there are certain things that certain Gospels will present that other Gospels don't. In other words, uh, Matthew writes certain elements that, that Mark does not capture, and, and Mark will say certain things that Luke does not capture, and, and so on and so forth. And so oftentimes, you'll find a place that's mentioned in one Gospel that's not mentioned in the other Gospels. But, but I want to point out to you, I'm not going to look at all the verses right now, but, but the word Gethsemane is only found in Matthew and in Mark, but, but the occasion of Gethsemane is found in every single one of the Gospels. You know what I'm saying? You ought to pay attention to that place. And, and if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you know what he says? If any man will follow me, take up his cross daily and follow me. If we're going to go to the cross, on the way to the cross is this place called Gethsemane. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, there were people that were there and excited when he was raising the dead who wanted nothing to do with a place like Gethsemane. You know why? Because Gethsemane's not razzle-dazzle. Gethsemane's not exciting. Gethsemane's not what draws the crowd. As a matter of fact, uh, what the Lord does, he brings 12 or 11 with him because Judas, if you remember, they have the Last Supper and, and Judas runs off to do his thing. And by the way, when Judas leaves, the Lord tells him the same thing I tell to a young man when he finds a good Christian young lady, that which thou doest, do quickly put a ring on that finger. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Right? You know what he tells Judas? He tells him, he says this, he says, that which thou doest, do quickly. And all the disciples thought, man, maybe this guy Judas has a great errand that the Lord wants him to run. They had no idea what was going on in the background. That was the Lord's way of sheltering them from everything that was about to happen. And so Judas is off, there's 11 disciples, and the Lord decides to take with them Peter, James, and John, kind of away from the other 11, and bring those three away and say, I want you guys to experience something. Look, they're not going to go to the cross. They can't die for the sins of mankind, but they could have taken place, they could have taken part of Gethsemane. The problem was they weren't spiritually awake enough to understand what the Lord was trying to teach them. My question this morning is, are we? We look at the disciples and we go, man, if I was there, I wouldn't be asleep. Come on. They just ate a meal. They were up late. They sung a hymn. They start walking. And by the way, the upper room that was furnished was at the southwest corner of Jerusalem. They had to go all the way across town by foot. There's no Uber back then. They're going by foot across to the east side where the Mount of Olives is. And they walk across there. It's nighttime. They sit down just like, now listen, I'm not picking on you. I know there's been Christians who come to church. You've been working all week. You are tired. Preacher starts preaching. A lot of you know, bodies crammed in one place. And the heat level goes up. And you start going... Right? I don't get offended by that. Now, if all 100 people got sleepy at the same time, I go, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> but but, but I, I get it. I understand it. But, but at the same time, understand the disciples are in the same boat. They've been doing. They've been going. They went. Listen, think about the events leading up to this. The Lord says, hey, let's go have a meal, the, the, the Passover, and you guys go prepare for it. Where are we going to do it? Okay, I want you to go into town and find this guy bearing a pitcher on his shoulders. And when you find that guy, walk, uh, walk behind him. I mean, can you imagine that? You're carrying a pitcher. You see these guys walking behind you like, uh, <laughs> what are these guys doing? The Lord needs your room. I mean, that'd be kind of intimidating, right? Here's this guy, a barren pitcher. The Lord tells him, go follow that guy. And when you find that guy, where he's going to, ask the master of the house and tell him, we need that upper room for the Passover. They did that. They had the Lord's Supper. The Lord washed their feet. Uh, in the midst of all that, you've got a long conversation from John 13 to John chapter 17, where he's preaching to his disciples about loving one another and about the comfort of the Spirit of God that was going to come their way. They experienced 
It's all of that. They have the triumphal entry. They, they go to the upper room. They have the last supper. And now they're going to sing a hymn. They sing that hymn. They make their way to the Mount of Olives. And there they are. Lord goes, okay, you 11. Uh, I'm going to grab three of you. You other eight stay here. Let's go pray. And I just ask myself, why does this matter? And let, let's be honest about it. Could the Lord have gone to the cross of Calvary and died for our sins? Is it necessary that he goes to get sin? Humanly speaking, I would say it doesn't make sense to me. I don't think so. But God obviously says yes. He says yes for a reason. Think of the judgment hall where the Lord went. That was significant. The cross on which he died was significant. The tomb in which they laid him was significant. The empty tomb after he was dead and rose from the dead, that was significant. The upper room that was furnished for them to have that last supper was significant. And I'm not sure, I, I can't preach it as uh, 100% truth or doctrine, but Acts chapter 1 talks about another upper room where the disciples are gathered together, where the Lord shows up to them. And I wonder, I just, I just wonder if maybe that, that, that upper room is the same one as the one that they use for the last supper. I don't know, I can't prove it. But either way, these places are significant. The cross, the tomb, the a resurrected uh, a Savior. These are all significant places in time. But I would ask you, what about Gethsemane? If we're just going nuts and bolts, he has to go, he has to die, he has to be buried because he said it was going to happen. He has to rise from the dead. Gethsemane, in my mind, is kind of like an extra. And yet God puts it in every single gospel account. You know what the word Gethsemane means? It's, it's from an Aramaic word. It's Gethsemane. You say, you say, what does it mean? It basically means this, the oil press. So at the Mount of Olives, at the base of this, of this mountain where all these olive trees were at, they had a place where, just like a wine press, where people would take their, their, uh, their, uh, their robes and they'd pick them up and they kind of gird them like this, gird your loins like a man and pick them up, and those men would walk in that press and they would press out those olives. And out of that would come olive oil, something that's used all around the world. But, but when you go to this garden, that's not like the Denver Botanical Gardens. It doesn't have the prettiest flowers. It's not lush. It's not beautifully green. It, it's, it's, it's a mid, Middle Eastern garden, all right? And keep that in mind. But at the foot of that, of that mountain, right there on the, on the edge of where that garden begins, is this place where they would actually tread out the olives. You see, what does that remind you? It reminds you of the fact that God brings you to certain places in your life because you need to see that whatever's on the inside eventually has to come out. You know you can't hide who you are forever? No, listen, nobody says, Lord, I want a one-way ticket to Gethsemane. That's where I'd like to be. You know, nobody wants that. You know what everybody wants? I want to be on the Mount of Transfiguration. I want to watch the Lord open up the skies and Jesus Christ with eyes red, uh, flame as fire, and his hair white as wool. And I hear his voice booming across the, 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 the horizon like thunder. And I see Moses and Elijah. And then God the Father speaking from heaven saying, this is my beloved. I want that experience. Can I tell you this right now? Those same guys that were on that mountain were invited to Gethsemane, there's a reason for that. Because the Christian life, listen to me, is not an ESPN highlight reel. It's not always going to be, look at what we're doing. Look at how awesome this is. There are some moments of your life you're going, God, why? Why am I here? Why did you, you know what the, you know what the answer is? If you don't make it in Gethsemane, you won't make it on the cross. If you're here and you're not saved, let me explain something. We're not talking about nailing ourselves physically to a cross to atone for our sins. There is nothing I can do to pay for my sins. Jesus Christ did that once and for all. But we're talking about, like we did last week, the disciples' life and following Jesus. Everybody says, I, I wish I was there to see. I don't know that you do. Would you like to be one of the disciples that the Lord is constantly going, how come you're asleep? Why'd you say that? Shut up. I mean... That's Peter. <laughs> I wish that was Peter. No, you don't. He's always getting rebuked by the Lord. Listen, if I said, hey, I'm really tired uh, of, uh, I don't know, someone spilling, uh, uh, people spilling coffee in the church, right? I wish people would stop spilling coffee in the church. And then I'm like, Joe, why'd you spill coffee? <laughs> uh, it'd be kind of like singling him out a little bit. 
You know what the Lord does with Peter? He singles him out. Why? Because Peter's like, Lord, I'm ready to die with you. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody does. Man, they might forsake you. They might get offended with you. Boy, I'll tell you right now, the, the kiss of death for a pastor is when someone walks up to me and says, Pastor, no matter what you ever say from the pulpit, I will never be offended. I call it a kiss of death. You know why? Every time someone told me that, they get offended with me. Without fail. It's better for you to think in your mind, pray, God, help me not get offended, than ever walk up and you go, Pastor, no matter what. You say, why? I call it the Peter complex, man. I don't know why, but it just goes that way. You know what Peter says? No matter what, they might forsake you, but I won't. And the Lord goes, hey, um, I need you to come, come, come with me for a little bit. Oh, are we going to go to the cross? Are we going to go fight some Romans? Uh, no, we're just going to go, go, go pray. Lord, we got bigger stuff to do. We, we got more important things, and, and we got ministry. We got, we got to go make a name for ourselves. And, and if you're going to do this whole kingdom thing, and let, we got to get this thing going. And the Lord's like, no, you, you need to come with me. You need to come with me. You know, I've learned everyone's a hero in their own mind until they're in that position. You ever watch these videos of some, you know, crazy shooting incident, you know, and people start running for the ducking, and someone watches and go, if that was me, I'd go run into the fight. Sure you would. Sure you would. Listen, in our own minds, we know how we would deal with something. I'm going to tell you right now. Once I moved out of my house, my dad became the smartest man I ever met in my life. You know what else? I'll tell you another one. Here's another one. Uh, I knew of all the ways that I could pastor a church better than my pastor until I pastored a church. It's funny how that works. Because in your own mind, this, this is how I would, Lord, I don't care what they say. I'm with you. And listen, I appreciate Peter's zeal. There's nothing wrong with that. That passion's a good thing. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's rooted in self. It is self-confidence, not Christ's confidence. And because of that, the Lord goes, we need to spend time in a place that kind of rids you of all of that, all the pizzazz, all the razzle-dazzle. Let me tell you right now, I appreciate young people excited about living the Christian life, but I've told them before, they've heard it. They've heard it at camp. They hear from Brother Jose. Some days you wake up, don't want to read your Bible, and you do it anyways. And some days you don't want to pray, and you pray anyways. And some days you don't want to witness, and you witness, and you go, oh, what great thing happened? Someone got saved. No, they made fun of me. But guess what? God was still pleased by that because I was obedient to his word. You say, what is that? That's just me following the Lord. Even if there isn't some great show and some explosive dynamic thing that goes on. Listen, we have been blessed in this church with countless people saved and people getting baptized and people want to get discipled. And I never want to get over that. I never want to say, someone got saved, you guys just look at me like a bunch of cows looking at a new fence. I would not want that. I get excited when you go, yeah, praise God. That's how it ought to be. But I'm going to tell you right now, guess what? Not every moment of our church's existence is going to be like this. And not every moment of your life is going to be like this. Some moments of your life, you're in a garden, and you're sweating. And then you look down, and you realize, that's not just sweat, man. <laughs> There's blood mingled in there. Why? From the pressure. We know this about this garden. It's a place that the Lord oftentimes went to with his disciples. You don't have to turn it there, but in John 18, it says he often resorted thither with his disciples. That's how Judas knew where to find him, by the way. So, so even though we know the Lord preached from the Mount of Olives oftentimes, in the narrative of the Gospels, it does not tell us every time he went there with his disciples. But obviously from John 18, they went there often. So what this tells me is this trip to the garden is a little bit different than the other one. This one is in preparation for something very significant. Peter's claim is, Lord, I'll die with you. And I believe Peter genuinely believes that. I don't think Peter's just blowing smoke. 
But I don't think Peter knows Peter like Jesus knows Peter. And I don't think Adrian knows Adrian like the Lord Jesus knows Adrian. Do you hear what I'm saying? <laughs> this place is pretty important. You know, you, know what, you know what scares me? It does. It scares me to think that some people can be saved for years of their life. Now look, I know, I know, you're going to think this sounds a little judgy, but, but just bear with me, bear with me. And never find themselves at an altar. Well, preacher, I don't have to. Okay, then nobody ever come because no one has to. What's the action for? It's an action of going, Lord, I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to crucify my flesh. I am willing to say, Lord, I'm in a place where there's not all this excitement. There's no spotlight. There's no razzle-dazzle. It's just you and me, and I'm doing something that's uncomfortable, and I'm going to a place I don't want to go, but Lord, I feel that you're in it, so there I am. <laughs> Someone one time told me, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about altar calls. I said, yep, it doesn't mention your paycheck either. It doesn't mention your vacation either. I love it when someone gets hyper-spiritual and they ignore the bigger picture. <laughs> the, see, the garden of Gethsemane for the disciples, do you know why? Listen to me carefully. Do you know why some of them are falling asleep? They've been here before. What's the big deal? Just know the church service. Oh. Hey, Lord, we, we come here often. Yeah, the Lord's doing his things, praying. He's always praying, you know, talking to the Father. It's what he does. You know, here we are, just kind of like, you know, sitting there watching kind of, you know, oh, counting the stars, and oh, I'm starting to doze off, and I'm tired. And I, just another service, just another occasion, but this time was different. Look, I, I don't know, I can't prove this until I get to glory, but I think, I think, if, I think I'm right about this. If I were to get Peter, James, and John and go, gentlemen, if you had a regret about your ministry time with Jesus Christ, what would it be? I think all, maybe all three of them would say, I wish I stayed awake for that one moment. You got to see the dead raised back to life. You got to see the lepers cleansed. You got to see the, the, the deaf uh, hear again and the blind receive their sight. You got to see all that. And you got to regret, but yeah, because that night was different than all the other trips that we ever made there. But we just thought, listen to me, it was just another church service. Just another trip. Jesus just going to the altar one more time. The altar of Gethsemane. The Lord had a different plan that night. See, here's the problem. God's not always going to tell you everything. You have to be willing to watch and follow. I believe he did the best he could to warn them. I mean, think about it. Go, go back. Look at uh, verse number 28. I love this. The Lord is talking about the fact that he's going to die. And then look at he just slips in there. After I'm risen, I'm going to go to Galilee. Did you notice Peter just like, pew? Like, no acknowledgement the Lord even said that. He's just like, uh uh-uh, uh, no, I'll, I'll never forsake you. Like, the thing that Peter was clinging to was like, listen, you know what that shows me? We hear what we want to hear. And we ignore some of the most significant things. The Lord's telling him in passing, oh, P.S., I'm going to rise from the dead. And nobody stops and goes, hey, what's that rising from the dead stuff? Because that kind of sounds interesting to me. All of a sudden, Peter's just like, uh, not me, Lord. Nope, 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 nope. Maybe those guys. <laughs> hey, listen, that Thomas, he's always asking questions. He's always doubting everything. Uh, Judas, he seems fishy to me. Not sure. Fishy. Not sure why, but something's off there. You know, Andrew, I can tell you everything about him. He's my brother. James and John, don't trust those guys. I've been in business with them. They cut corners with the IRS and the Roman government. But I'm telling you, I'm not like those Christians. I'm better. Lord said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He saith unto them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Over and over, there's a call to follow him. He says to the man that wants to bury his father, follow me, let the dead bury the dead. He, he call, listen, this is a phenomenal concept. The author of the gospel of Matthew does not get called historically, to follow Jesus until chapter 9. But you know what, what two words the Lord expresses to Matthew, just like he does anyone else? Follow me. So in our attempt to follow him, 
I think we need to stop here and get Simony. Who here has ever played Monopoly? Okay. Now, if you're competitive and your spouse is competitive and you just got married, don't play that game. Okay? First argument we ever had <laughs> was because allegedly I cheated. I tried to explain to her, in Puerto Rico, it's not this way, okay? We do it differently. <laughs> she didn't buy it, and we had an argument. But I'll tell you this, regardless of your experience with that game, there's one thing that's constant right here in the upper left corner is this word go. And if you don't pass through go, you don't collect what? Mm. In other words, you, you, don't, you don't get here unless you go through there. Can I just say it like this? There... Would you, would you trust, <laughs> let's say you're about to go under the knife, and the surgeon looks at you and he goes, oh, it's my first time. Whew. <laughs> you're like, uh, 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 what do you mean for, first time? Like first time drinking decaf, first time, <laughs> first time, oh, no, it's my first body I've ever torn open. Okay, uh, can we not, do, oh, oh, well, you know, if you're upset about that, you probably don't want to know I didn't go to med- medical school either, right? <laughs> I, if someone did that, you'd be like, Stop! You don't touch me until you go through school. If someone showed up at your house, an electrician, they were unlicensed, uninsured, right? And they showed me, yeah, I think I can figure it out. And they burn your house to, to the crisp. You know what the problem is? They didn't go through the proper training. Here's what the problem with Christians today. I want to follow Jesus Christ, but I don't want to go through the training. Well, what's the training, preacher? Well, I'm going to open my Bible and read it. Well, that, that's good. That's, that's a part of it. Well, I'm going I'm to go to the cross just like he did. I'm going to show that I'm willing to lay down my life and, and put myself after him. And he's first. And, and the Lord goes, that's great. But before you even try to do that, let, let's park a little bit in Gethsemane. Gethsemane, number one, is a place of learning expectations. Learning expectations. Go to Mark chapter number eight. Go back to Mark chapter eight. This, uh, uh, what do we want to call it? This... Uh, Open mouth, insert foot syndrome that Peter has. There's another term. I'm not sure it's very kosher. Uh, diarrhea of the mouth. Peter, just everything starts coming out. You ever been around someone like that? It's like, bro, take a breath. You know what that is? Usually someone that's insecure and trying to overly compensate for something. And Peter's like, I can do it. Lord, look at I want to. I can do it, Lord. Give me a shot. I know I can. I don't know about them, but look at me. Look at Mark chapter number 8. This isn't the first time that Peter's had one of these outbursts. Look at Mark chapter 8, verse number 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples in the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. And some, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith to them, but, but whom say ye that I am? You know what I love about this? This is the Lord's way of saying, I, I know what they think. I don't care about what they think. What do you think? You claim to be following me. Whom say ye that I am? Uh, look at uh, verse number 28. Uh, I'm sorry, verse number uh, 29. And Peter answereth and say to him, Thou art the Christ. Great answer. Great. As a matter of fact, over in the Gospel of Matthew, the Lord tells him, Flesh and blood not revealed this unto thee, uh, but my Father which is in heaven. He gives Peter a, a real big attaboy. But, but lo- notice what follows after this. Look at verse number 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly and Peter took him and began to what? Imagine we're having a conversation and I'm preaching to the church and I'm saying, hey guys, uh, the Bible says this and that. And Brother Lenny gets up and goes, Pastor, let me talk to you over here. Okay, Lenny, what's going on? I think what you said was wrong. And, and, and there's, there's, you guys are still here watching. This is literally what just happened in the gospel. Uh, Peter goes, oh, Lord, no. Hey, listen, I was with you when you asked who you were. I was there to say the Christ, the Son of God. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's not how the Christ is going to go down. We won't let that happen. Lord's like, well, that's not up to you. And Peter, how about you take the pen out of your hand? Let me write for a little bit. Peter had different plans. See, how do you know? Well, 
Over in Luke, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 22, the Lord goes, how many swords do you guys have? You know? And Ben's like, I've been concealed carrying, vato. <laughs> the Lord's like, how many swords? And the disciples go, well, you know, they all you know, start looking around. And, we got two. You know what the Lord says? That'll do. That'll do. So then you're in the garden. The soldiers come. You told us, you asked us how many swords we have. We've got two. I'm assuming that means you want me to use it. And the Lord's like, oh, no, 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 you misunderstood. I just wanted to know that you had it and were willing not to use it. You know what's hard? That. You know what would be easier? Uh, Lord, I'll fight for you. Some of you, uh, you know, some of you Baptists, you'll fight until the last, last dying breath. But I believe! <sighs> but you know what the Lord's calling you to, you to do? Sometimes you know what he says? I don't want you to fight. So you could fight, but let's not do that right now. You know, with, with Peter's personality, Lord, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll die. I will fight. I will die swinging. And the Lord's like, I know, Peter, but the problem is that's you. That's your personality. That's all you, and there's none of me there. Here's what I want. I want you to have a sword in your hand, know that you could use it, but put it back in its sheath and don't hurt anybody. You know what Peter does under pressure? And by the way, when people are under pressure, you see their real colors. He pulls that thing out and cuts someone's ear off. And the Bible says the Lord picks that, what a gross thing. The Lord picks that thing up, puts it back on the head of that man that was cut. He just looks at Peter. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Imagine you're Peter. I mean, think about this. I walked on water. Then I fell. And he's like, why don't you have any faith? I, at least I walked on water. <laughs> right? And the, Lord, the Lord, Lord's like, hey, who's got swords? I got a sword. Oh, I got a sword. Great, let's go. The, the, guy, the bad guys come, they come into the garden, this garden experience where they're at, and they come to, and you say, what is it? Peter had in his mind what Peter wanted to do before they ever got there. And the Lord had in his mind what the right thing was to do, but Peter didn't want that. You know what the Garden of Gethsemane is all about? It's about learning what your expectations are versus God's. You know what the problem is with a lot of Christians? You envision God a certain way. This is how I expect God to work in my life. This is what I expect God to do. This is how I expect God to, to act. This is, and you kind of put God in your own little box instead of saying, Lord, what are your expectations? You know what Peter does? Lord, I just know what you want. You want me to stand up for you and to defend you and fight for you and die for you. And the Lord's like, look, man, you are, not, you are going to be offended because of me, but not for the reason that you think. No, I'll never be offended. I'll fight for it. The Lord's like, yeah, but what if I tell you not to fight? Right. Yeah. What, what do you mean? By the way, every time I hear one of the wives imitate their husbands, they're, no, 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 no. My wife tells a story, and then he says this, no, no, I don't sound like a caveman. So <laughs> I want to get that out of the way right now. I'm tired of that. She's not the only one. I've heard you do it. I've heard your wife do it. No, 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 You know? It's enough of that. We're educated. We're better than that. <laughs> but you know what Peter ends up? He ends up cutting a man's ear off. And then shortly after that, he's at the door of the very place where they're judging his Savior. He's on the outside. He could have been on the inside, but he chose to be on the outside. How, how, why, why is he on the outside? Listen, because his expectations were different than the Lord's. And instead of responding the right way, he said, if that's the way it's going to be, then I'll just pick up my toys and I'll leave. Can I say this? There's way too many Christians that have done that. Well, Lord, you didn't, you didn't do it the way I thought. If he did it the way you thought every time, he wouldn't be God. He'd be you. I read this recently, our environment, the world in which we live and work is a mirror of our attitudes and expectations. The psalmist David says, my soul, wait thou only upon God. Why? For my expectation is from him. When your expectation is God, it doesn't matter what God does because it's good. 
When your expectation is X, whatever X may be, but it's not God himself, it's what you think God should do, you are going to get offended with your own Savior, and you'll be like Peter. That's why Gethsemane is important. It shows us what our expectations are versus his. You guys remember the story of Naaman, the leper in the Old Testament? I love that story. You know, and, and, and all, it all comes to light because this little Jewish maid's like, I know where you can get help, you know, and she speaks up, great picture of a Christian speaking, you know, lots of people, and, and, and of course, the, the, the message gets to Naaman, and he goes, okay, I'm going to go visit this guy. And Nathan steps out of the chariot. He's a leper, but he's still in his mind. He's the captain of the host, so he's a big deal. And he steps out of the chariot, and Elisha doesn't even come see him. He gets like a little text message. Oh, don't bother getting out of the chariot. Uh, so here's what you want to do. <laughs> do you know who I am? Send. <laughs> and and that, if that wasn't enough, the message itself was go wash in the Jordan River. The Jordan, that mud hole? The, 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 these other rivers in my country are way... I drove down here for this? You know what his problem was? His expectations were different than God's. I'm glad someone was there to talk some sense into him. And he got the help. You know what I'm trying to do this morning? I'm trying to talk some sense into you. If your expectations are different than God's, get your expectation in God himself and out of those expectations. You know what Gethsemane's really good for? Dividing that line. Here are God's expectations and here are mine. Secondly, can I say this? Gethsemane's a place of learning how to pray. Look at Mark chapter 14. Look, if you would, at verse number 36. Mark chapter 14, verse number 36. I love this prayer. Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. He is ascribing the power to God the Father. He says, you can do anything that you want. However, <laughs> not my will, but not as I will, but as thou wilt. You know what we do with prayer? You know what prayer oftentimes is reduced to as American Christians? God, give me this. God, give me this. God, give me this. And let me tell you something. God wants to hear your needs. I don't want to dismiss that. But it becomes a laundry list of things that you think that you need in your life, and it never goes back to God. Who do you want me to become? Versus here's what I need. And you know what the Lord's saying? Hey, you're getting this backwards. You know, think about this, guys. The disciples go, Lord, teach us to pray. Question, question. Uh, some of you guys that have gone out and doing public evangelism, uh, you've heard about it, and those of you that heard about it before you went, you were instructed on what to do and all that. You got instruction. When did you actually learn how to do it? When you're doing it. Lord, teach us to pray. And he goes, okay, well, let me, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be. He gives them the instruction, the, the template, if you will. Now he's going, gentlemen, do you really want to learn? Yeah, Lord. Teach us. And the Lord gets down and prays one of the greatest prayers of all time. And they sleep through it. You know what I've heard Christians say all the time? All we can do now is pray. That's the greatest thing you could do. You know what Gethsemane is good for? Let's be honest. When you've got a situation in your life and it's pressing you and you're down and you're isolated and you're depressed and you don't know what to do, you find yourself praying more. Am I right about that? And you know what the Lord will teach you in a moment of Gethsemane? He'll teach you how to pray for real. Not this, Lord, thank you for the food, thank you for my life, thank you for my wife, thank you for the kids. Lord, bless you, bless that, bless that. In Jesus' name, keep me safe with the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you right now, I'm glad if you talk at all to God, but I'm going to tell you right now, that's different, that is shallow compared to God. Take me, break me, mold me, make me, use me. God, I just want to be what you want me to be. That's a different kind of prayer. You know why Gethsemane's needed? Because on the Mount of Transfiguration, nobody prays that. You know when you pray that? When you're being pressed. Fast forward to the cross. What does Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you think... He get, he, you think he would say that if he hadn't gone through Gethsemane first and said, Lord, not as I will, but as I will. You think he could have said, Father, 
Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Man, if I was God in the flesh and I saw the sins of everyone that was around me accusing me falsely, I'd be like, and what about you? And what about you? And what about you? He doesn't do that. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know why you have a hard time with that with people? Because you haven't gone to get Simi long enough. Lord, I'll die with you. I'll go to the cross. Yeah, but you won't handle it the right way. Isabella went off to Bible school. She's got an internship learning how to teach. <laughs> and she always, I've always wanted to learn how to teach. So this week they're like, so you're teaching a whole class all day. Ah, 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 ah. You know what, though? After that day, she didn't die. And she learned a whole lot about teaching. You see, some things you don't learn unless you go through them. Three times he repeats that same prayer. Not what I will, but what thou wilt. And I thought to myself, why does he do it three times? You can come up with your own reason. When we get to heaven, we'll find out. Here's what I came up with. If I'm going to follow my example, I want to submit my body, soul, and spirit to God. The Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. He breaks it down in threes over and over and over. You know what it is? It's a picture of complete submission. Lord, all of me is yours. Can I say this? Your body is not yours. How you treat it is not just up to you. What you expose of it is not just up to you. What you look at is not just up to you. What you listen to is not just... Do you understand that you're to say not what I... You know what Christians do way too often? Lord, where's the line that the preacher draws? And let me just find out how close I can get to that line. And how about you quit worrying about where the preacher draws the line? And how about you say, Lord, how can I glorify you with what I'm doing right now? I know if if I ever, God forbid, mention anything about clothes in church, people lose it. You legalist, you Pharisee. I, listen, I just, I just went this the other way last Wednesday or Wednesday before that, and I was very clear about that, that God cares more about the inside than the outside. And if someone comes and they don't know Jesus Christ and they're dressed in a way that you don't agree with, leave them alone and thank God they're at church. Having said that, if you're a child of God and you dress up better for an interview than you do church, your priorities are messed up. You know what I'm going to try to tell you? I'm trying to explain something. Oh, there he is. He's going out the bed. You should just stop with the other stuff, preacher. Why are you going down this road? Because I'm tired of Christians going, it doesn't matter. Your body is God's. What you do with it matters to God. And you go, oh, I'm going to die with it. You won't die with the Lord. Can you put on clothes for God? You can't go and pray with God. I'm going to go die with you, Lord. I'm going to be a real hero. And the Lord's like, how about this? How about you close your eyes, shut out the world, and be honest with me about what you're doing with your life? Three times he prays it. You know, prayer, that prayer shows a connection of the Father's will as they mocked him, as they smacked him around. Hey, you saved others! Save yourself. (laughs) Look at him. Look at him now. Look at him. He's not so strong anymore, is he? Hey, carpenter, why don't you come down? You don't think if he didn't have a strong prayer life, he could have... Buddy, if his prayer life wasn't right, you know what would have happened? He would have ripped those nails off that cross, called the angels, and wiped everybody out. You say, oh, why do you believe that, preacher? Because if we had that power, we would. You know why? You don't spend enough time in Gethsemane. As he ripped out his beard, as he planted a crown of thorns on his head, hmm. as 
They ripped off his clothes. As they pierced his side. You know why there's such a quiet confidence in the Lord? He had such a great prayer life. And I long for that. And devices have robbed us of quiet time. You ever find yourself going, Lord, I remember praying for two hours. Getting lost in that with you. The only thing you get lost in anymore is a movie. The only thing you get lost in is I, I went to check my phone for a text message and now I spent two hours looking at reels on Instagram. Hmm. I want more of that love for people. I don't have it. Not like him. And I think part of the problem is not enough real prayer. Get somebody will teach you how to pray. You see, 6,000 years ago, another man in a garden took a throne. It was wrongfully his, and we've been paying for it ever since. And that decision to take that throne, instead of, listen to me very carefully, instead of going, God, what do you think about this? What if Adam had said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, right? There'd be no kicking out of the garden. The Garden of Eden would still be there. But you say, what happened? He took matters into his own hands. There was no prayer. He jumped forward without God. Here we are. Gethsemane is a place of learning to be alone. You know what Jesus Christ was when he prayed? When his disciples were asleep, he was alone. You know what he was when they arrested him? He was alone. You know what he was when they took him off to the praetorium? He was alone. In the judgment hall, alone. When he's there on the cross, alone. In that tomb, alone. You say, I want to live just like Jesus Christ. You can't unless you learn to be alone. You know what? They did a survey in 2018. This is, do you work for Cigna? Is it Cigna? And in 2018, Cigna did a survey, and they found out that like 47% of Americans profess to feel alone and isolated and depressed because of that, that, that isolation compared to in the 70s where 11% of Americans felt that they were alone. Why? Because back then, all you figured was, I got my people at work, I got my people at home, I'm good. I'm not alone. But now there's this whole entire world open up to you, and if you're not part of every single activity that's going on and everything, you know what you are? You're alone, and you're anxious, and you're isolated, and you're missing out. Let me tell you this right now. The Lord goes to the cross alone. He does what he does for us alone. He rises from the dead. Buddha's not there. Muhammad's not there. He's the only one. (laughs) See, the flip side to alone is alone's a great place to be if that's where God is. (laughs) Because he's alone in his resurrection. But, but, but let me just say this. He could not have gone through all of that. I believe the testing ground, the proving ground was Gethsemane. Moses was alone when God called him. Elijah was alone when he heard that still and small voice. Jacob was alone when he wrestled with God and God changed his identity. Listen, Adam, for those young men waiting for a wife, was alone when God brought him Eve. Amen. Listen, good things can come when you're alone. If you're alone, listen to me with God. Some of you have your family against you as you follow the Lord. Some of you, maybe even your spouse. And that's a hard thing. And I'll be honest with you, I I pray for those of you that deal with that. I I don't have that. I'm thankful to have a wife that says, yep, I love you, Lord. I want to follow you. I'm thankful for that. But if you don't have that, you're going to feel like alone. But, but can I say it like this? You're in good company. You're well, I'm all by myself. Yeah, but you're not. Let me show you something in John chapter 17. I'm sorry, John 16. 
You know what's crazy? When the Lord started his public ministry, it starts with the baptism. Oh, what a moment. The Father speaks from heaven. The Spirit descends. And the Son is right there. Boy, you got, you got it all right there. I mean, imagine hearing this booming voice. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and, and all they heard was thunder maybe more than likely. But imagine taking someone into the water and all of a sudden you hear thunder booming all over the place. That would be like lightning. If you're out here, please don't kill us, right? <laughs> they, they hear this thunder booming, the voice of God. Exciting. What happens in the very next chapter? He's by himself getting tempted in the wilderness. See, I think a lot of us like the excitement and the boom and the sound and the. David, I'm not picking on you. I promise. I'm. I'm going to commend you for this. Um. He is doing something he's never done before. And and if I could, I don't think Javen's all that scared of going out in the streets and preaching. And I don't think he's scared of someone punching him in the face for the Lord. But putting a puppet in your hand. in Disciples Bible Club on Wednesday night can bring terror into the heart of a young man. (laughs) Especially if you were a jock and not part of the drama club. (laughs) Right? You see, why is he doing it? The Lord gave me the opportunity. You know, if you're going to serve God and you're going to follow the Lord, there's going to be times where you're alone. And it's not even just a matter of being okay with it. It's understanding the value of being alone. And understanding that God can do some things in your life when you're alone, that he doesn't. You ever notice this? In the crowd, oftentimes, you know, they're bumping around. That woman touches him. She touches him, gets virtue out of him. He goes, someone touch me. And then he deals with that woman one-on-one. The woman caught in the act. There's this big crowd. What does he do? He deals with her one-on-one. Hosanna, uh, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Thou son of... And the crowds are like, shut up, blind man. And the Lord goes, hey, I want to talk to you. What is he? he? He doesn't want to deal with the crowd. He wants to deal with the individual. Over and over and over. Look at John chapter 16. Look if you go to verse 32. Behold, the hour cometh. Yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me what? I love the next part, though. I love this. And yet, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Sounds good in the message. Sometimes it's hard to live, is it not? Let me give you this in closing. Look back at Mark chapter 14. Mark 14. Mark 14, verse 38. <clears throat> Gethsemane is a place of pressure and revealing who we really are. I want you to notice what the Lord says in verse 38. Watch ye and pray. Lest ye enter into temptation, the spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is what? You know what none of us like? <laughs> you know how I know this? You go to take a picture of somebody? I'm 42. I'm overweight. I don't have a good side anymore. I don't care. <laughs> this side, this side, this side. I don't, I don't care. Whatever. Some people go to take, oh, this is my good side. You know what none of us want? Don't, don't show my blemishes. Don't, I don't want you to, oh, and, and can I get the angle right? Why? To hide 40 pounds. Yeah, but then when people meet you, they're going to be like, wait, are you the same person? (laughs) You know what the Lord says? Hey, hey, let's deal honestly with each other. Listen to me carefully. We live in a filtered age. Everything's filtered. And the Lord goes, when we go to Gethsemane, we turn the filters off. You see, nobody wants to point out where they're weak. You get boys playing a game. Let's play tag. Why? Because the girls can't catch me. Well, that's what I'm good at. Well, why don't you play a game you're not good at? Oh, I don't want to do that. Why? That would expose my 
weakness. Do you realize you never get stronger as a believer without God exposing your weakness? If your weakness is, I can't get in a group of people without talking about someone that's not there, that says something about your heart. If the weakness is, I want what that person has so bad and it drives me crazy that they have it, that's a weakness. God can deal with it, but he won't deal with it unless you're willing to acknowledge it. If your weakness is, my mind, listen to me carefully, is perverted, and I've dumped so much junk in there for so many years. You can cover it up with all kinds of other things, and you can cover it up by staying busy, but it's still there. And until you go to get Simeon and go, Lord, this is who I really am. You know what Peter looks like? He looks like the bravest guy in the room until they get to get Simeon. You see, how do you know? Well, in this same garden, just a few moments after the Lord prays a couple times, it's like he looks up and goes, the hour's come. And within seconds, he sees lanterns and lights coming down the path, and he knows Judas is right there. And all the disciples are trying to figure out what's going on. The last thing they heard, Judas went off to run an errand. Here he is coming back. And all of a sudden, they see him kissing the Lord on the cheek like the mafia. That's where it comes from, by the way. Godfather didn't invent that, okay? It wasn't Martin Scorsese. It was the Bible, all right? They see that. They see people pulling out a sword. They see confrontation. And they see that the Lord doesn't fight back. And Peter, the one that said, I will die for you, throws that sword down and says, I'm out. Why? Because pressure doesn't make us who we are. It just shows us who we are. The daily choices make you who you are. But the pressure? Whatever's inside, listen to me. You take a sponge and you fill it. You take that sponge and you squeeze it. Whatever you poured into it is going to come out. It's not magically going to be, it's not magically going to be Lysol that squeezes out if you just dipped in a bunch of muddy water. Christian, let me ask you a question. Who are you really? Not at church. Not with the filters on. Who are you? Peter, Peter's not the Peter that we know without going through Gethsemane and realizing, man, I fell so short of what I expected of myself. Now, the moral of the story is not you're good for nothing, God's done with you. No, no, no. God used Peter to lead thousands of people to Christ. He used those disciples in a miraculous way. But they had, it wasn't that God's like, oh, I wonder how they're going to respond to this great test. God's like, I know what they're going to do. They don't know what they're going to do. So we need to spend some time in Gethsemane. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. <clears throat> Father, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ this afternoon and ask for your blessing on the word. Lord, I pray that if there's some believers here, Lord, that maybe need to spend some time with you, maybe visit Gethsemane and let you just take the filter off and show them what's really underneath the surface, Lord, I pray that you'd help them do that. There's no way I can take up my cross and follow you if I'm not willing to Stop in this garden for a little bit. Spend some time here and pay attention to what's going on. With every head bowed, every eye closed. <clears throat> Here's what they find out in Gethsemane. God is right. I'm weaker than I thought I was. My way is not God's way. And submitting to His will is right, regardless of how I feel. See, Peter's not a coward. He's just a man frustrated by God getting in the way of his own plans. You need to get a hold of that. Mm 
He is no coward. He's ready to fight. Cuts a guy's ear off. Not bad for a fisherman. The Bible says that Jesus in that garden sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. You know what poured out of Jesus Christ? Mercy, forgiveness, and love. When David's under pressure, he commits adultery. When Saul's under pressure, he throws spears. When Adam's under pressure, he's afraid and he lies. Everyone is going to experience pressure. The question is twofold. How do you respond to it? And secondly, what have you been filling your life with so that when that pressure comes, you know what flows out? I'm going to ask this question with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here and you know that you are a born-again child of God, you know you're saved, you could raise your hand and say, yeah, preacher, that's me, I'm saved. Hands, I love it. I don't think I'll ever get tired of it. I love Christians going, yep, I'm his. I love it. I love it. But if you couldn't raise your hand, can I, can I point you can I point you to a man that would know every flaw and every sin and every failure And the cross did not happen to him. He pursued it. And he did it for us. It was no accident. It was intentional. If you're here and you're not saved, can I encourage you not to get religion not even to join this church. There's no, no fast ones, no sleight of hand here, but to take the greatest gift. Man, I cannot imagine my life if I wasn't saved. Oh, I wake up in the morning, I look at that sunrise, and I thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you for my wife and my kids. Thank you for the course of my life. None of that would be possible without the cross. None of it. But he first goes to Gethsemane. And if you're here and you're not saved, can I encourage you to get saved today? To trust him as your savior. To not leave this place without finding out what it is to have that hope of eternal life. grab me, grab my wife, if you're a lady, grab Brother Craig, grab Brother James, Brother Tim, Brother Sean, any of these guys can, many others, many others, walk up to someone with the Bible, go, can I, can you show me I get saved? There's a good chance they can show you. says to Terry one for another. I'm going to just ask Brother Joe to continue to play for just a moment as these pray. different personalities but 
when the Lord allows you to be a part of something exciting, to be all in, to be excited about it. I believe that. And at the same time, when he brings you to a place like the Garden of Gethsemane, you go, okay, Lord, I'm not excited. But I, I want to be, as we learned last week, disciplined to stay here for a little bit. you got something from the word today thank you if you're visiting with us thank you for coming our way uh be in prayer there's quite a few people that are uh under the weather right now and some are traveling and uh uh, i would ask again church family if you would pray for some of the things we want to do here to make more room in our sanctuary for more people uh that god would allow us to find favor in the bank's eyes if that's not his will not our will but his be done amen uh, but we're going to ask for that and see what the Lord does. So if you'd pray with us about that, we'd appreciate it. Uh, Wednesday night, Bible study, we'll continue our series on spiritual warfare. Um, I, I think what we're probably going to do is talk about making sure you are getting the right counsel, uh, listening to the right spirit, because you can't fight if you're not taking in the right spirit and the right counsel. Uh, so we, I think that's probably where we're going to be on Wednesday night. 7 o'clock, we'll be up here. Uh, and the kids will be downstairs in DBC, K4 through 6th grade. Uh, youth group, 6 o'clock Wednesday night. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you for coming out today. Pray that God blesses you. Encourage each other, all right? Encourage each other as you leave here. Maybe grab someone's number you don't know. Say, hey, I want to encourage you. Stay in touch. That's a good thing to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Eric if you would dismiss us, sir, in a word of prayer.